welcome to Cross Training, and uh, this is where we look at faith and practice in a biblical setting. My name is Tanner Higgins. I'm Matthew Thompson, and we're joined by two guests in a in a far-off land. We're not recording in a pretty recording booth that is extremely hot. We're, we're cold this time. This is a temperature we're not used to here at Cross Training. We are at Upper Cumberland Youth Camp, which is a, a week-long camp uh, that we, I mean, we put on every year here at Fall Creek Falls, uh, and we want to do a little bit I don't know if you call it a series, Tanner, uh, but we, we just want to record stuff. I mean, why, why not uh, go over God's Word and just talk about what it means to us uh, when we're at a camp devoted to that? I mean, we might as well get the microphone out and do it. Well, we're surrounded by minds that are greater than ours, you know. So, I mean, we've got two great Adams amongst us. we got Adam Clagg and Adam Holloway. Brilliant minds. I would almost put them up there with, you know, Charles Spurgeon almost. <laughs> but, uh, no, but these are two godly men that we really look up to. We've Adam, I've, I've known you since I was long a kid a long time, but yeah. Adam Holloway, you're kind of new to me in the sense of uh, you've been going to Covenant, which is in Saudi Daisy, yep. is that right? Yeah. So, Adam, you're the lead pastor, I am. is that yeah. correct? And Adam Holloway, don't you have a role in the sense of... Yeah, I lead the youth, so student okay. pastor. student pastor. Okay, and so, Adam, how long have you been at uh, Covenant? I've been there since we started the church in 95, and I've been uh, on staff since 2000. And uh, lead pastor for eight years. Sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. What month in '95? April, May. Something like that. Birthday? As old as mine. As old as me. So the church is as old as you. There we go. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to kind of dive a little bit deep into uh, a sermon that Adam Holloway preached tonight, um, which we didn't have the sermon recorded, but yet you get to hear a little bit of a discussion, a little bit deeper dive into maybe some of the wood scraps uh, that Adam may have not used, or we'll go into a little bit of his project of what uh, he, the Lord laid upon his heart to preach. So There was a, there was a little bit of discussion before the mic got turned on that, um, that this year at camp it's a little different than how we normally do it, because it's normally just uh, camp from a Ages, was it like eight to eight 18. to eighteen? Yeah, uh, but we're splitting in half this year because, well, the state of things. Um, and this first half of the week, we've got the the younger kids. So I, I heard some discussion happen before we turn the mic on that, like the downside of that is you you don't necessarily have to dumb down a sermon because obviously there, mm-hmm. there's something in scripture for everybody. But there are some concepts that you know might not be wise to, to present mm-hmm. to a ten year old. I mean, you just kind of have to use common sense there. So there's some there's some bits like when you might be studying scripture for a sermon that you just, you got to realize, oh, I got, I'm going to have to pocket that for later. I, it's it's inappropriate to bring it to to young minds, but this can still be used for God's glory in other situation. Well, this might very well be that other situation, so we look forward to diving into this sermon and and just finding, finding out more. Mm-hmm. So the sermon that uh, Adam presented to us tonight was in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, so I think we've kind of, we, we've kind of bounced around of what versions we're going to use, but I, we'll Adam, what version do you have today with you? I have the KJV with me. Okay, so we're using the King James today. So if you if you get your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, but I think it's fantastic. Uh, this And I, I, I noticed some things when he was preaching and in some of the things that you were saying that kind of uh, opened up my eyes a little bit about uh, God's character and how he wants to uh, reveal himself to us. And I think that's one thing that he does and he, that he wants to do is to reveal himself to his people and to reveal himself in a way that um, 
that is that, that is is loving, that is kind, but then also in a, in a sense of respect, that, that, or a type of holiness that he truly does deserve. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 20, the first thing I'll kind of want to ask, what is, exactly is fear? When we, have, when we say that, and you know, we have this respect of God, and scripture all the time uh, says fear, and fear and trembling, what exactly, in the sense of, off the, off the top of the head, what is fear when, it talk, when it's talking about in Scripture? I think there's different aspects of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it depends on um, sometimes a person's own heart, right? So there's definitely a sense of fear uh, of God in, in the sense that, um, for instance, there's lights in, in, in chapter 20, verse 20. They, they were terrified when they heard God's voice. They literally said they were afraid they were going to die. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's that kind of sense of fear. I think there's an unhealthy fear sometimes. There's also a healthy, reverent fear. So um, Dr. Garnett Reed, who was a uh, retired uh, Old Testament professor at uh, Welch College, he wrote a book uh, on D6. And uh, I've always loved the way he quotes and, and kind of put into words what the fear of the Lord means. And, uh, and I'm quoting straight from uh, him. He says, the fear of the Lord is conviction and repentance and deliverance and joy and peace. And it's all rolled into one term. It's mm-hmm. a relationship uh, packaged into a phrase that we can grasp. And he goes on to say that the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is kind of like uh, what being born again is in mm-hmm. the New Testament. Oh, wow. That's kind of a way to kind of grasp what that term means mm-hmm. oftentimes. But uh, I think sometimes it's taken um, maybe understood in the wrong way where people mm-hmm. are fear- fearful of God in, in, in an unhealthy way at times. But Do you think that, and I, I think I've made this analogy a couple of times, and I know it's been made dozens of times in sermons and stuff like that, but do you think this is one reason why God has instituted family in the sense of like parenting? Because I know as a child myself that I feared my father, but yet not in the sense of a, uh, I, I'm scared of you. But yet it, it, in that definition that he gave was that, you know, there is a conviction of the wrong that I've done against him by the whippings, which I, like I stated before, my best friend was his leather belt in the past, you know. So the conviction of my my wrongdoings to my father or to my mother, even, or to my sister, uh, but then that whipping or that conviction would lead to repentance, but then it would bring deliverance out of that wrongdoing, but then bring a peace and joy into the relationship that is designed as family. So do you think that God's kind of instituted that in a way that is picturesque uh, to his character? I think so. I'll, yeah, I'll, I would, and it's not perfect because families aren't perfect. Of course. Of course. <laughs> there's, there's no ideal family. Um, and even the first family had, you know, a couple of mishaps. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. uh, so, but absolutely. But you, we, we could even tell, I guess, in the service today mm-hmm. that, that uh, the, one of the boys who spoke out when we talk about father um, said, I, I don't know my dad. Oh, I heard that. I yeah. heard that. And I'm sure you, you didn't have a, anything in your notes ready to no. uh, respond to. I think you responded well, saying that God is a good father. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but so it is a good analogy it's not the best mm-hmm. but I think that obviously God calls himself father for a reason now the verse 20 uh, of chapter 20 I've kind of saw that do you think that sometimes God places, it places us in a state or in a situation that we could be fearful to test us to kind of and what do you mean by test I mean 
do you see it to prove us, to show us that we are willing to be with him? Uh, so what do, you, what do you get out of verse 20 when you were kind of focusing on that? Yeah, I definitely think that's what he's doing. I mean, well, you know, the scripture says that, you know, when Moses responded, he, he told them to fear not that uh, God has come to prove you or, or kind of to test you. Um, so there is a sense of that. And, of course, we know that God wasn't uh, trying to prove them or test them because he didn't know how they would react, right, because he's obviously all-knowing. Uh, but it's, I think it was more for them to realize uh, just who he is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like um, when they, he, he wanted to test them that, so that they would understand uh, just how holy he is. So he put them in a state of fear intentionally. Like they, they audibly heard his voice, I believe, in, yeah. in this passage. And you know, it's one of the few times, in, uh, the only time in Scripture I can think of that so many people at once literally heard the voice of God. I mean, some, yeah. some people estimate a million to two million people, maybe. Was everyone around this the mountain, point. right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they all like the gathered trembling, around. Trembling, earthquake, yeah. trumpets. Yeah, I believe, trumpets. right? When a trumpet's sounding, so I think that would freak me out. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's, it's kind of, it's just funny how that, like, well, we, we think of God, and, and I think we've kind of placed, I think the, the culture that the church has set in the, in the Western church is like a consumerism type church where it's like, well, God is just love. You know, I just want right. to consume God, but yet there's this type of reverence and type of respect. And I, and we hear that, and I, when you first read that, and I think as a, as a, I think someone that's heard that, you know, the, 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 I'm using air quotes to those are listeners, but the, 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 the evil that God has done, you know, people have said, well, God has killed so many people. I mean, why, of course he wouldn't uh, want anyone to come to the, to the mountain. No, of course he didn't want anyone to go and touch the, go up there with Moses because he'll die. He just wants to kill people. But the thing is though, God did that to protect them. And why do you think that is? Why do you think there was a, a border? And why do you think it was so terrifying and so trembling in the fact that God didn't want them on that mountain at that time? Versus Moses being up on the mountain. Well, I said it at the end of verse 20. He said, I'm doing this to keep you from sinning. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole idea of a guardrail. And he's showing, you know, this is, this is, this is a guard, guard, guardrail so you don't fall off the cliff. And so I think... That's exactly what he's doing. That's what the law is. The law is for, mm-hmm. and his voice, his voice is, should bring fear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that and um, with the Ten Commandments being brought up uh, just before that passage, mm-hmm. um, that passage, and then continuing to the end of Leviticus, you have 613 laws that are that are brought forth, and this, and just from what I gather, is. God introducing a new order to the lives of these people that have been under a very oppressive order. Like, he has freed them, but that doesn't mean that it's time for anarchy. Yeah. Like, yes, I have freed you from these ruthless slave drivers, but this, this it's not a free-for-all. There, there are still rules. We, we need to institute morality. We need to make sure that you, you understand what love is. We need to make sure that you're educated. Uh, that's why when you read back in Leviticus, there's so much stuff in there that just seems like common sense now. Like, oh, right. if... Wash your hands. Yeah, yeah. Wash, wash your hands. <laughs> Uh, if you use the bathroom in your pants while you're riding on a saddle, you need to wash it. <laughs> I mean, you read that and it's, like it's comedic relief now. But this, this was this was where those people were at. They needed to yeah. be told these things. And while there are common sense, like sanitary laws like that, there there are others that are still debated today. Because it's like, oh, well, why did he say that? Well, well again, uh, 
I believe that that was 613 opportunity or 611. There, there's some debate on that too. <laughs> uh, opportunities to basically tell God, hey, this is me loving you in this specific way right now. And if you ask me, 613, that that's some grace right there. That is yeah. some mercy. That is God oh, giving. No. I mean, imagine someone giving you a list of 613 things that you can do at any given time that will make them know without a shadow of a doubt that you love them. That that's that's a privilege right there, yeah. and these these first ten being such big ones because I mean, uh, it's like you said, uh, Adam Hallway, <laughs> um, we're all guilty of all of those. Even the ones that we look at at face value are like, oh well, well I've never murdered anyone. Well then you had Jesus coming in uh, in the New Testament Improve, and, say, yeah, and saying, yeah, hey, if you hate someone, law. yeah, exactly. Which at the end of the day, and I put this um, down in my notes too, like it all comes down to love. I mean that's what the 613 laws are for, to show love. And then even uh, when Jesus comes in and fulfills that law, like the greatest commandment, love your neighbor. Well, and the other one, but you know the the, the two one greatest commandments. <laughs> like it all just comes down to love at the end of the day, which is why hate was equated with murder when when Jesus mm-hmm. uh, gave that bit of mm-hmm. introspection on that. So that that's that's the point of view that I like to look at uh, laws because there's so much there's so much debate over those Old Testament laws, especially from non-believers. They try to. Right do their whole gotcha debates be like oh well your your god just said all these terrible things and well do you wear clothes made in more than two threads like oh yeah, dude yeah. You, you're, you're missing yeah. the entire point yeah. if those are the questions you're going to ask me it's ugh. yeah and a lot of those laws he's meeting the people where they were at in that time exactly. and if you compare to the uh, hebrew nation culture comparative to outside culture yeah. it's completely different oh, so absolutely. it's it's a it's a completely polar opposite of what was be doing because if you I think I was reading a little bit after uh, twenty mm-hmm. of the Ten Commandments and stuff like that and it was talking about the rules of the slaves right. and it's like if you buy Hebrew which we know that slavery is wrong but yet the Canaanite law of, of, of owning a slave it's basically property you can do whatever you want to with it yeah you know you can you can rape that slave because it's property right. you can uh, beat it to death mm-hmm. because it's property mm-hmm. but yet God placed upon Moses and, and the people a law saying you know if you buy a Hebrew a Hebrew slave release it release yeah. him sorry we'll give him identity or her yeah. uh, after what does it say seven years or something like that? like yeah. there's a time frame right and so and it's way to and then later on it talks about like the humanity that they are supposed to uh, set upon people. So it was basically saying, you see these other nations that don't follow me, and I and I'm and I would assume since Scripture is an Israelite and it is a it is a Jewish you know context right. yeah. and narrative. So I would assume that he's tried to reach the outside nations too. So God is saying, it's like, listen, you're different. You're set apart. And and I think one thing that you said tonight, Adam, is that, you know, God's holy standard versus man's unholy standard. And God was setting, a, is trying to set a standard. It's like, no, I want you, I want you guys, and I want to be a connection. And I think that if God was, it, it, when God was on that mountain with Moses, I think God wanted his people to be up there with him. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that, you know, God wants to be, God wants to be in the presence. I mean, that's why he had the tabernacle. That's why he had all these things around him. And I know I'm, we're talking too much, but this stuff is just so, yeah. I mean, I want you, I want to give you all the time to talk, but I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you how much I, I enjoyed the sermon, bro. <laughs> well, that's good. But I, I, I really believe that God's intention in creating us is to be with him. Mm-hmm. It's to be in the presence with God. And even though that first family screwed up, yeah. He still wants to be within the presence. And even though he says, you know, you can't come to the mountain because your unholy standard can't meet mine, but yet we're going to meet some way. And verse 
chapter 19, verse 10. I'll read that verse because that one uh, was powerful to me. I know you didn't read it, but I, I, I kind of read back. But read uh, verse 10 of 19. If verse you don't 10. Yeah. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And when we continue, or? I'll just read. That's that ten yeah, is fine. Yeah. But when I read that, I kind of can you see Moses as a Christ type? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he serves as the mediator, yeah. right? You see, you see, he, he mediates this, um, and yeah, here, here, he's he's teaching them how to cleanse themselves. Um, absolutely, he's a Christ type. Mm -hmm. And I think Moses, and, and many times, what did Moses say? It's like you know, I'd rather. He, he, many times, he petitioned with God. And I think there's many Christ types within the Old Testament to kind of give a picture of, of, of Christ in the future, for sure. Um, now, what is the purpose of the standard law that God has placed? And then how did Christ come? And he says he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So how does that apply with all these 113? 613. 600, oh, my. <laughs> 500 off. There's a lot. Yeah. So when Christ coming right. 2,000 years ago, how did he come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, but to fulfill it in the standard of God versus the standard of man? What do you all think? So easy question. Easy question. <laughs> yes or no question, you know? Yeah, well, you know, when it's just like... Was it Romans or Hebrews where it says the law is the schoolmaster? Galatians. Yeah, Galatians. Galatians. Oh, <laughs> the one I didn't think. You know, schoolmaster. And I think it's an excellent way, of, obviously, of explaining it to us that the law had its purpose. Mm -hmm. Its purpose was to teach us I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I can't even keep the top ten. Yeah. You know, especially can't keep the 613. And so so I think when it said that Jesus came to fulfill it, part of that was Jesus explaining what the law was originally supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And we believe in the Trinity. Jesus, we believe in the eternal sonship, right? So Jesus was there on the mountain too. And so when he gave the law to Moses, um, the Jews, the Jewish people over those next few hundred years really screwed it up. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus was so mad at the Pharisees every single time yeah. he talked to the Pharisees in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was furious at what they had done to the, to the true faith. Yeah. And so he had to come and make it right again by, by summarizing it back up to love. It's all, this is what I'm trying, God has been trying to say for thousands of years. Love God, love each other. Yeah. Well, James, is it James that says that God is love? Yeah, you know, is, is it James? It's somebody. Somewhere. Somebody <laughs> in the New Testament, you know. Well, Tanner's saying it right now. I'm saying yeah. it right now. I'm cool, I'm cool with somebody, yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things you said, I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I, I, wrote, I wrote down as quick as I could to listen to it, but uh, or write down as quick as I could listen to you what you said. But uh, you said, possibly, we'll say possibly, <laughs> if we sin, it is placing a bad image of God's creation due to and being made in his image. So all the way back in the beginning, God has created us in his image. And once we sin, either by these Ten Commandments or by the nature of whatever law is set before us, it is placing a corrupt or horrible image upon God himself. And I can see just the same thing with like, I make this analogy with marriage all the time because marriage is also another picture of the, the body of Christ. That 
my wife bears my name. And when, if she does something wrong, then she's also shaming me and my family. And the same thing with my son. If he does something wrong, then he's shaming me and my family. So now that we're Christians, we follow Christ, we now bear the name of Christ upon our lives. So when we do something wrong, sinful against God or sinful against man, then it's bearing a bad image upon his name. So here's a pastoral church question. So has the church done a good or bad job in portraying this image? By, by what you all have seen in your 42 years of life? <laughs> Out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. I love you, brother. I mean, the church has always struggled. Yeah. I mean, every single, yeah. every single movement throughout all of Christian history. Mm-hmm. I don't think any church has it right. We all struggle because none of us are Jesus, so we're not going to be the oh, perfect yeah. picture of Jesus. Um, I know all of us try. Most of us try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and even those that we really disagree with theologically, I think they're trying. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, you know, well, are wrong. We, but, yeah, we can, we can, <laughs> that's one thing I love about that. God's grace is, is, is so amazing that, like, even if, like, we may be in the same denomination, but we may disagree yeah. on certain uh, theological uh, things. But yet, that doesn't mean that our relationship with each other and the kingdom of God and with Christ Himself Absolutely. is null and void. Yeah. And I think that that kind of shows that goes back and and goes back to God's grace with Levitical law and the Mount Sinai as well. Yeah, and I think with us being not a great image of God, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> shows again how that these you know Jesus, of course, being the image of God for us, mm-hmm. and these other Christ figures throughout throughout the entire Bible, talk about Moses today. Yeah, you know that uh, they were amazing pictures. That we couldn't create. That um, I think one another way that shows that the Bible is true, completely true, mm-hmm. and not and inspired. It, it is inspired by God. Infallible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because we couldn't create a character like Moses. Yeah. That so amazingly is a picture of Jesus. Uh, because Moses, of course, Moses failed. All the all the yeah. archetypes did, but. We, we can see, we can just read the story and say, yeah, I can see Jesus in that, that depiction. I can see Jesus in that story. I can see Jesus in that occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps us see in our lives, well, I'm not like Jesus that way. Oh, I really screwed up that way. Um, and it brings back to the law. The yeah. law showing me I can't do it. I need Jesus. Thankfully, God loves me enough that he sent Jesus. I think that's powerful. I mean, I, you know, that totally makes sense is that it gives... Which we're now we're getting onto the 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 infallibility of scripture. But like, if this was a story, and you're trying to buff up your King David, yeah. or buff up whatever uh, historical figure, you're going to make him invincible yeah. and uh, proven to not sin or go against anything. Like he is God Himself. Right. You know, he he's another incarnation of, of God. Yeah. But now we've got David, a man after God's own heart. But yet, how many times does this man sin? Yeah. Countless. That's the stuff that made it in the Bible. Yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it could have been. He could have been like Jonah said. You know, there's more things that could have been recorded in this book. You know, that's the stuff you really don't need to. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, it's just amazing. I, I and I, I don't think we can we can sit here and talk all day about God's grace. Uh, you know, and I think that just meeting here and just talking about it mm-hmm. is showing grace in itself. Right. You know, I mean, we could. He could. Uh, make us automatons and robots 
but that's not love. Yeah. You know, and I don't, and I think that's one thing about free will, and I and I and I think free will is important, and we haven't talked much about the free will theological topic, mm. but in the sense of us choosing mm-hmm. to follow this this God that created everything, which we see the stars, we're out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and we've seen more stars this past couple of days than we've seen in a long time yeah. since we live in the city. Yeah. And the question arises in our heads, like, how can you not see that there is a creator? Mm-hmm. And having the thought of saying, is there a creator out there? It's like, how can there, obviously there, there has to be a creator out here. To me, that shows grace that he's willing for us to choose him or not. And that grace is, is amazing love, mm. you know? And I think that, what's that one old hymn, amazing love, how can it be? Yeah. You know, and I question myself all the time. It's like, well, how can it be? Yeah. You know, and, and seeing this Christ type. And, and, and when, I, when I read 1910, I was just like, sorry, no offense to Moses, but I didn't see Moses in that verse mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Mm-hmm. This might be hard to, I mean, the, the long pauses with the ice machine, but uh-huh. yeah, you can edit. Well, well you can go back to 199. Oh, what's 199 say? It's all about, that, I guess, that, again, that Christ type, but it says, Here God, you know, God comes to him in this cloud. It says, So that I will speak to the. So the people will hear me speaking with you, and will always put their trust in you. Mm. So again, if he's the Christ type, you know, putting the trust in Moses, we put our trust in Jesus. Trust, of course, yeah. the same thing as believing in, um, which we need to trust him more. Yeah. And so that was that, and that was getting us ready. The schoolmaster is getting us ready to pray in the Jewish people, which all, you know, Jesus and his 12 disciples were all Jewish. Um, but then they told someone who told someone who told someone who told us. Um, but so that's what the law was. It was preparing. It took a long time, but it prepared generation after generation to follow. We need to follow. Yeah. We are very prideful. We like to just do what we want to do, you know, what we feel like doing. But we need to but following, trusting, trusting in him. And that's what, and we see how God wanted to remember in 1909. He said, God says, I want them to see our relationship with God and Moses. Mm-hmm. Then they'll trust you. And what about the law then? It's our relationship. You know? well, and you can see in the Ten Commandments yeah. that the first part, the, the, like the first five commandments is like sins against God. And then the last five is like sin against man. Mm-hmm. And so obviously he's concerned with the relationship with man and Absolutely. especially with each other. But back to the, the schoolmaster, that was interesting. Do you think that, and I, this popped in my head, but do you think that God was, do you think the Israelite people were ready for Jesus? If Jesus showed up on scene back then, do you think that they would be ready? Or do you think that God was like, you know, they're not ready yet, so we're going to kind of put them through the test. You're not, you're not ready for the final test of Christ. So I want to put you through 40 years of the wilderness and through all these things. And so the time frame, so you got, you know, Maccabees and all these other stuff in between Mount Sinai. To Christ, do you think that that was kind of like God preparing the world, or God preparing? Because yeah. I mean, absolutely, I yeah. think the whole world He's yeah. preparing. Absolutely, and I think in the New Testament, I can't remember exactly where it says that Christ came at the exact right yeah. time. Yeah. Right, so yeah. the timing was perfect when Christ came. So there obviously was a correct timing in God's mind. Uh, but yet, yeah, preparing the entire world to teach us. Uh, not just the Israelites, but uh, you know, God set them apart not based upon 
anything that they had done. He chose them just on his own uh, desire to choose that particular group of people. And all through the Old Testament, we see that the purpose of that was to show the people around them who the real God is. Right? I think all, all along, the purpose of choosing the Israelites was to show the entire world, which they, they tended not to do a great job at sometimes. But, uh, but God always wanted a relationship with everyone. I liked how you said it there at the end, or close to you know, you're as a, as a I guess as an evangelist or a preacher or whatever. It's in preaching the word of God. You've got to break down the shell of you know mm-hmm. the heart of saying you know there's sin in the life, you know, but you never leave it in ruin. And I and I know that I've heard before. It's like you know you never just preach redemption. You never just preach destruction. You preach them both in the same. Right. You know you can't Absolutely. leave them, you can't leave them in ruin, and you can't just preach the yeah. the the answer. You yeah. got to bring them both together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I like what you said. It's uh, like I said, I'm probably paraphrasing, uh, but God didn't leave them in the state of ruin, uh, of incapability, of, of of reaching God's standard. Uh, and I think it was interesting that right after God placed the laws and did all this stuff, it's like, all right, here's the altar. We're going to make an altar. Mm-hmm. We're going to place this altar right here, and we're going to sacrifice, and we're going to get right with each other. And and I'm sure, uh, you know, in, ver- in chapter 19, 16 through 18, it talks about thunder, lightning, yeah. uh, the mountain rumbled and, and covered in smoke. And these guys, I'm sure this is why they wrote the law when you, you poop your pants on your saddle, because I'm sure some of them pooped their pants. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sure would have. Yeah. Uh, even after seeing a Red Sea split and all of the ten plagues. But after all this fear and trembling and being terrified, God is like, okay, here's the law. That's the go-kart passing by. <laughs> so it's the night watch. They're probably going to get us. But here's the law, and I may, I, it may seem terrible, and it may seem scary, but yet there is a point of all this, and here is a time of repentance. And I think it's, it's funny. And... and when my dad whipped me, like I said, my best friend was my daddy's belt growing up. Every time he whipped me, he said, this is because I love you. You may not understand this, but it's because I love you. And the reason a lot of this stuff is going on is like Matthew said, is because he wants that relationship. He wants to love upon us. He wants to. And so I think that's, it's just amazing picture and amazing story. And uh, I guess off topic, but why, why, why is there, why do you think I was reading this, the, the way that the altar was laid out, it said, it has to be natural stones. Natural it's stone. not. Un- it has to be uh, not cut from tool, and you can't be on a high hill, so you can't look up into their nakedness, can't look up their skirt. So why do you think the stones had to be natural, and why do you think it had to be on flat ground so you don't look up their skirts? Random question. I just read that. I was like, I- he's comparing them to the Canaanites, to the other false religions. Okay, they're all about showing. Under their height, their, their, <laughs> their height. <laughs> they're, they're all about to that. So I think he's definitely contrasting. This altar is not an idol. He never okay. wanted the altars okay. to be an idol. Yeah. He named them. They were special, just like things in our lives. Just like it, we don't call our church holy. It's special. The the furnishings inside of our church buildings. Mm-hmm. This place, this camp. We've been coming. I've been coming here since 1985. It's a long time. Um, it's very, very special. Yeah. It's not holy. No. 
God is, and He's making us holy. And that's what makes this place special, mm. you know. And the same way they hear that that altars are different than idols. Altars are special. Altars are awesome. Um, but the people, I mean, I, this is the, this, He's starting a brand new kingdom. This is this is His family. This is His people. That he's going to change the world, and. He's saying, no, don't make this. Because he knew they were going to screw up. Because they always did. We read the rest of the Bible. They always did. We read our own journals and diaries. <laughs> we screw up. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but i, I got I to... Yeah, go ahead. Look, look, so, I think of the altar as well as Jesus himself. He's... he's Different than the other nations, he's not Absolutely. coming down as, as a as a wonderful high rolling king mm-hmm. that he's set apart from other leaders, mm-hmm. and him himself is an altar of sin placed upon him. And so, could every time the altar in the Old Testament and and sacrifices being placed, that's another picture to the Israelites is like there's something greater than this that's coming. Mm-hmm. There's something greater. So I mean that that's cool that. Constantly, you see Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah. Constantly, I think that's just amazing. Yeah. I think Matthew, you know, you keep mentioning the 613 some odd laws and how a lot of people see them as restrictive, but I think I think pretty much everything flows from the Ten Commandments and up, and you know, all those 600 kind of flow from there. It shows the character of God. Um, and you had mentioned about God's desire to live among his people, mm-hmm. which in creation that's what he did with yeah. Adam originally, right? And and I think the goal of redemption completely is to get back to what the garden was like. So I, I believe the restoration of everything as it was in Eden, uh, especially that relationship. And the Ten Commandments are an expression of who God is, right? So earlier we talked about the image of God and how uh, when we sin, we're kind of violating that image, and that's that's to all humanity, right? So we know that, uh, you know, God didn't tell us uh, you shouldn't steal just because God said so. It's a good enough reason, right? But God told us not to steal because He's not a thief, right? right? And because oh, yeah. we're image bearers, yeah. we we shouldn't steal. God didn't tell us not to lie because He's not a liar. God told us not to commit adultery because He is faithful, mm-hmm. right? So the very image of God, we're violating that when we do those things. So those those things are intended to restore that relationship with him, to bring us back to that love relationship, not to restrict our freedom, but to draw us close to him so that he can give us uh, the redemption we need and restore a loving relationship. So it does. Back, we're back to love again, right? So it all boils down to love. I think yeah. it was Luther or Augustine, one of the, I remember, said, uh, so Christianity uh, can be summed up in uh, love God and love your neighbor and do whatever Luther. you want. Luther. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I love that yeah. right? So it's not restrictive. Love God, love your neighbor, do whatever you want. Quiet reformer, what? Love <laughs> reformer, you know? Love them. I mean, at the end of the day, like those laws, they're the end goal of all of these laws, and even the simplified two that Jesus gives uh, later on is to beat back the flesh. Like yeah. those laws are designed to let only the, the Christ-likeness within us out. Because, I mean, like you said, if, if we really did just love each other and love God, we could do whatever we want because right. all that we would want would have to do with those t- previous two rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I mean, it just it just permeates. And when, you, when those things are, when we strive for those things to please God and, 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 and do these things, and I think that creates true joy. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that... 
I think that there's sometimes that we can lose that joy because we don't, we're, we're striving to fulfill our flesh. You know, we look at these Ten Commandments and we place ourselves just like what uh, the serpent and, and the devil said to, to Eve. Like you, become, you can become gods. And I, and I think there's a lot of times we can look at these commandments and say, well, this is about me. You know, yeah. you used my name in vain. You cussed me out. That's about yeah. me. You committed adultery. That, that's that's against that's that's against me. Against my, that's faithfulness towards me. And so, a lot of times, I think that we can somewhat place ourselves in place of of these commandments and, and place ourselves in God. And that's very well. It's, it's a sin. It's wrong. Yeah, exactly. it's wrong. Yeah. I was, I'm going to say it's dangerous, but yeah. I mean it's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. And yeah. and I think that today's society, I think it's it's become very prevalent that we have desired that godship even more you know it's all about myself you know we talk about and one of the we have a we have a shirt and it's supposed to be a pun on a compton rap album or whatever but uh, straight out of it's straight out of compton or something and it says that's my church and stuff like that but i'm thinking but is it though? But it's it's God's church. Yeah, it's Christ's church, and it's like we're all about this consumer consumeristic yeah. ideology upon ourselves instead of focusing it completely on Christ, stepping ourselves down mm-hmm. and placing God at the head. And we just, I think it's too many times, and I think it's it's gotten into the church sometimes, of where it's all about me. And, and like I said, consumerism. Like, what can I get out of church today? What can God give me today? What mm-hmm. what sermon is Adam going to yeah. tickle my fancy that's going to make me feel good? Yeah, yeah. Which I, and I mean that's just an example of us falling short. Like we exactly. Yeah. We like to have our knee jerk reactions and just assume that we're right. Um, which I, mean, I could talk and Tom blue in the face on like shirts and phraseology that exists within a church that might not exactly yeah. be scriptural. Well, yeah. the, the <laughs> bumper sticker theology. Yeah. 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 What's that shirt? Uh, I remember I seen it here a couple of years ago where it's like the Sprite logo, but it says the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yes. Refreshing. You know, uh, yeah. Oh, it is refreshing. You know? <laughs> Love it. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like with, the, with the pandemic going on right now, you have everyone having uh, varying levels of outrage towards like uh, churches having to, to close. Do you really think that God can't come out on top in this? Like you think because is, law, is God limited to these two yeah, doors that you, are open? Yeah, you, you know? think because have because you have to listen to your sermon uh, online or in your car in the parking lot of your church, like God's not going to work. Like you really think that God's confined to that building? Like and so and let's be let's be clear here. Like some churches aren't going to open back up. Yeah. Last time I checked, there's still five churches on every street, <laughs> at least here in the South. Like, yeah. we've got plenty of places to go. Like, that one church isn't the one that God was at. He's at all of them. It's up to you to experience that. Like, I, we like to think that our way is the biblical way, and we don't like to test it against the Bible to make sure that that's right. No. That's that's just a, a shortcoming we're going to have till our dying day. So that's that's just part of it. I would like to rewind a little bit, though, on this, because uh, I started to answer a question earlier, and then I started talking about Leviticus, and then, well, I did my thing. <laughs> uh, when you asked about the the mountain, like not being able to touch the mountain uh, lest you die in, uh, back in Exodus, uh, I think one big... Uh, reason for that. And you also talked about, actually, I'd like to ask you to elaborate on this because it's not fresh in my mind. Uh, you were talking about how there was kind of um, a separation of different peoples in like the area, like there was the, the Jewish women and like the... Yeah, yeah. In, in the if, if you could temple. repeat that, that'd be great. Yes. Yeah, so, so basically the way the temple was set up, 
as we know, in, in the most holy place, just the high priest was allowed to enter. And that was, of course, once a year. Um, and then outside of that was a, was another court where just the, uh, the those from the priest order, the Levites, could enter into. And then outside of that, you had, you had another court that was set up for Jewish men only. Uh, and then in the corners of that, you had a area for Jewish females, and then on the outside skirts, you could have the uh, Gentiles were allowed to enter. So if you remember, uh, even in the New Testament, Paul was actually accused at one point of bringing Gentiles into the Jewish area. That was one of the accusations against him. Mm, so yeah. One of the reasons they, they wanted to arrest him was that they thought he had violated that. So so it kind of shows this idea of separation from God, right? So uh, uh, different levels of how close you could approach the presence of God, essentially, which is, you know, the, the most holy place, um, which obviously when Christ uh, was crucified, we know that the uh, the temple was, uh, well, the, the curtain separating the most holy place was torn in two, um, and then eventually in 70 AD, you know, the entire temple was totally destroyed, which, you know, Depending on your eschatology, I don't think it's going to be rebuilt. So I'm a post post mill guy, so I know it's a lot different than, than most real Baptist, I guess. But uh, as we're d- d- uh, differences bring unity, you know. Absolutely, you know, yes, I, yeah. I'm fine with but, that. <laughs> but I don't know if that's what you were kind of looking for. If you, uh, well, Nicholas Cage is going to rebuild the temple, isn't it? Oh yeah. man, let's <laughs> behind. <laughs> no, I thought it was Kirk Cameron. No. Oh, well, there's a second one. Did you know there's a second one? With, no, with, no, I with, didn't. Uh, know. Nicholas Cage. No, I, didn't uh, know. I, didn't, I haven't watched it. Got that left behind theology. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know my watch list. It's behind a whole lot of other oh, things. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh my uh, but I think at, at one point it was asked like, why? Why? I mean, why? Why was that a thing? Because um, like. Non-believers especially like to criticize Leviticus for all the different uh, barbaric, um, air quotes, laws. Uh, you could also look at like that kind of segregation of different people and go like, well, why would God want that? And the argument that I like to put forth there, and I mean, of course, there are plenty of ways that you can argue back and forth based on scriptural evidence. This is just the way that I read it. Um, progress doesn't happen completely overnight. Like, God knows how his people think. Right. So... I think when when people point a criticizing finger at the way that like that segregation of different individuals within the temple exists, they might they might go, well, if if God really wants uh, humanity to be like unified and like together in love, why why wouldn't He let them do it then? Well, if you're going to use that argument, then why when Adam and Eve disobeyed did God not just go, oh well, psych, guess what? That rule wasn't real. You're all right. <laughs> yeah. We're going to keep chilling here in the garden. Yeah. All right, no rules, no rules. <laughs> No, that, that's not how this stuff works. Uh, as we established already, like Jesus showed up exactly when he needed to. So work needed to be done in between the fall and when Jesus came, or else why, why would Jesus show up? Yeah. That and the Israelites, all due respect to them, not the smartest people. I mean, again, they had to be told to wash their pants after yeah. they relieved themselves in them. Not, not super smart. So we can't be giving them this massive culture shock of, okay, you're free from slavery, now anarchy. I mean, I already brought that up. But a similar sort of system needs to be introduced to what they were doing, but not oppressive. Like, yes, they are separated. Uh, Yes, there are rules put in place. uh, And yes, if they break these rules, like repercussions will occur. Like if you touch this mountain, you'll, you'll die. Yeah. All right. And I mean, that's just the, the justice of God coming through. If he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Like, no, no takes these back. He's in, in God's law. <laughs> yeah. So this new, 
I guess we can call it kingdom, just, I mean, metaphorically speaking, I suppose, uh, in this new little kingdom that he's offering his freshly freed people, um, it's a similar system, but it's better. I mean, I believe you said it uh, in, in your sermon, like you can refer to the New Testament as Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. This, this system here is introducing, hey, God's better, God's better, God's better. You know that? Until that, Jesus comes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that previous system where you were under slave masters yeah. that would whip you, that would rape you, that would abuse you, and you just had to deal with it, and maybe you'd get fed. Well, now man has fallen from the sky. Yeah. Water is coming from rocks. A lot better, isn't it? And all I ask is that you you stay in this room for a little while and it'll, it'll be all right. So there, it's it's more. I think it that did a lot to protect the state of mind of these people because sometimes it's easy to look at the Israelites and think that they had it easy because they had access to all these miracles. Like, oh man, I would I, I would have followed Jesus in a heartbeat. I would have followed God in a heartbeat if if bread was falling from the sky. Goodness, but you gotta be thinking how. How would that affect the mind? Sometimes I do think about that. Like, would that affect mental health? Like, would I be capable? I don't, I don't know. We need order. That's yeah. what, that's what and I were talking about future podcasts about mental health going through the, yeah. cr- the crisis we just went through. It's a big deal. It's because we, we've lost control over the last few months. You know, this is what June, June of 2020, we're recording this. Um, the entire world, when we lost control of air, almost every aspect of our life. Everything, Someone yeah. has made the decision for us uh, with work, school, society, church, and we don't like that. We need order. Yeah. We need our routines. We like our routines. Yeah. Uh, when, when people, when the kids, you know, my kids go to school, when they just were told they can't come back, that was a, that was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. Um, and obviously in church, that was a big deal. When we, when we said to stop meeting, um, we, we need order. Yeah. Humans need order. I think God provided that. And my understanding of the Old Testament, you know, tabernacle later became the, you know, Solomon's temple and then Herod's temple. That the temple is a picture, a mirror image of what is in heaven. So there is, as we read Revelation, um, you know, there's separations. We see that, you know, where the, um, you know, when they're sitting with the, with the, you know, with the elders and the beasts and all the different places, you know, that there's, there's types of separations and there's divisions, and that's okay. Um, we don't, we're not always unified, no matter what we do or believe or who we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think I think there's a lot to to speak for when it comes to just maintaining some semblance of normalcy. I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, that, I mean, you got to keep in mind, whenever uh, God let Moses leave his people alone for five seconds, they're, they're over here making <laughs> these idols that they're under. Like, they, they thirsted for that normalcy, even if it meant descending into heresy. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, I mean, it's again, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look at that scripture uh, today, but you got to be thinking, like, what, what would have been would have been like to be in their sandals or yeah. in their barefoot situation, whatever <laughs> whatever they were doing there. Yeah. You were talking earlier about, you know, preparation if Jesus would have come then. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're right. I mean Jesus obviously he came at the right time. But even they were hardly ready. Being yeah. slaves and then all of a sudden freed. They didn't know what to do. That's why they messed up pretty quickly and were punished and had to wander for what, forty years. Um, God set up some normalcy. But it got redundant. Can you imagine, you know, quail and manna? I was about to say, they got bored of the manna. They manna every day. That, that gets old very quickly. Um, but 
I think it's amazing to see how God, God knew exactly what he was doing when he was doing it. And of course now we look at it 2,000 years past Jesus, now what the times that we're living in, you know, how is he speaking to us today? Like Adam was talking about, you know, the Lord speaks to us through his word. How else does he speak to us legitimately? Um, most of us have not had an audible uh, encounter with God, like you said. So, um, so how does he do that? And how should we, what should we expect from him? What should we dismiss um, as being crazy? You know, yeah. but and but not just but we never say God can't because like you said in the sermon, God did. So obviously <laughs> he can because he did. So I thought that was kind of I thought that was interesting. Well, I like that. I can definitely. Well, I mean, I can say with the stuff that we're we kind of dealing with right now, I think that God has definitely been speaking through this crisis that we've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Because how many times with that we've been, that it's good to shake up. Yeah. The the normalcy. Yeah. It's like because then once we're placed into a situation that we've never been before. Yeah. Then we've. I think God sometimes reveals like, okay, it's not about all this comfortability in the pews but it's more about focusing refocusing on Christ himself so I can see that you know with all things Romans 8 28 all things work for his good that love him are called according to his purpose and so I do think that in, 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 that God has used this crisis this, this stuff that we've been dealing with as a type of revealing himself in a way that is is, is definitely growing spiritually. Uh, oh, we've had to depend on him more. Oh, obviously. And you, depend on others yeah. more. And, you know, some have had to depend on the government that really want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've had to depend on others. You know, my, my wife was sick with the virus and back when it first oh, yeah. came out. Oh, yeah, Late. March, and that's when nobody knew anything about this thing. But she was diagnosed, and it, it was hard. It was very hard. You had a family member yeah. that actually died. Yeah, they had a, a yeah. great aunt that died yeah. also. Yeah, so it was it was hard, you know. Um, so that's just the the virus part, and of course the um, reaction to the virus is even worse, <laughs> you know, um, in, in many in many aspects. Um, or of course, we're still dealing with it nationally, and I know internationally. We talked about it this morning. Mm-hmm. What's going on in India? How they literally are starving, yeah. not because of the virus. They're not dying of the virus. It's the reaction. As much as the reaction, they're like they can't work. There's no jobs. Well, I'd like to bring it full because I didn't bring this out, but I'd like to bring it full circle yeah. back to that fear aspect, uh, which yeah. which fear in itself to this you know thing. It fear in itself is not a sin. You know, it's an emotion, mm-hmm. but it's how you respond to that fear that can become either obedience or a sin. All right. So I mean, with this, you can run from you can run yeah, from it or front or into God, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and I think that at the mountain of Sinai, I mean, very fearful, and I would only imagine that after this is all said and done, and God has placed this altar before the people, yeah. that I would assume there's several people. It's like, no, not for me. Yeah. And out. Yeah. I could I could definitely say that because you see that today you yeah. see you, you lay yeah. the whole message out yeah. of, of you know your sins are, are, are what make you terrible you're not a, you're, we are fallen human creatures but then here's Christ for redemption people know the facts but yet they openly refuse yeah. to accept the truth yeah. and and I use uh, you know way way the master Ray Comfort kind of come out in this sermon if, if you're familiar with his ministry. Oh, uh, Ray Comfort? Ray Comfort, yeah. 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 yeah so, yeah. so basically, it's kind of what I was doing with part of this sermon. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've done some street ministry with mm-hmm. people. And I've had 
I'll have people admit to me, and I'll take them to the commandments, and they'll admit to me that they know they're guilty, mm -hmm. that they believe that there is a God who will punish them. They know they're guilty, and they'll refuse to repent. Yeah. Right? And, and, and oftentimes, and, and I can usually tease it out of them if I've developed some kind of rapport with them, they'll just tell you, I enjoy these sins, mm. and I don't want to let go of them yet. Maybe later I will, someone will say. Of course, I try to warn them at that point that there might not be a later, but uh, yeah, I've, I've had many people, especially young men are usually easy to hit on this one, especially on the lust one. I'm, oh, yeah. I'll say, yeah. So just admit to me that you're enjoying your fornication so much that you'd rather do that than turn to Christ. And I've, I've had people say yes. Yeah. Well, in Galatians, you said that the law reveals your sinfulness. That's correct. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's important, you know, to, to somewhat, to, not somewhat, completely. <laughs> you, you, got, you, you got to present the law because, yeah. I mean, that shows that it's like, okay, we need something. Mm -hmm. But like we said before, you can't just leave them in ruin. you got to bring... You get, you got to bring the altar. You got to bring the altar. It's interesting what you're talking about the the reaction to fear. I wonder that's why we see so much of Christianity today that we see people go to either extreme. They got run to the fear and with legalism, mm -hmm. or yeah. run away with it with liberalism. And so not the balance what we what Adam preached. You know, he preached out of the Old Testament and New Testament, um, but it's taught the same thing. You know, um, I wonder why people do that. It's just a natural tendency or a background. Some are just naturally legalistic. Like it's all about rules. Mm -hmm. Some people are just naturally liberal. I don't know. But fear is going to make you do one thing or the other yeah. or hopefully go back to the Word and do what God said. Obey me and love me. Accept my love. Yeah. Well, and we before we started recording, and, and we're not going to get into it here, but like with the, the political climate mm -hmm. that's been going on in the United States currently, and there's a lot of people. It seems like that they, 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 they claim the Christian flag, but yet their religion is politics, mm -hmm. and they try to fit God into that political yeah. temple yeah. instead of taking Christ and Christianity and the kingdom of God and placing Christian politics, Christ politics, the politics that Christ that, that Jesus taught yeah. and teach and preaching that. And it seems like, well, that's just not, that's not Christianity. That's not what Christ is all about. And I think that's definitely, mm -hmm. and I, I, I know Matthew, me and you've talked, it's like when I see something I don't like, I got to be careful because if I see something I don't like or I see like someone's theology that to me that it, it, it goes against scripture, I swing hard the other way, it seems like, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a tendency that I think us as humans, at least me personally, mm -hmm. have that. I gotta fight. Like I feel like, like I think, especially as a man, we, we feel like we gotta fight, mm -hmm. you know. And when we see that, but then I think that God He wants us to have patience about these things. And so fear is a natural response to the stuff that's been going along uh, epidemically. To is that even a word? I don't know. <laughs> but with the epidemic and the political climate, that we have to have patience and, and look at Scripture of how to respond yeah. for sure. As with fear, we we naturally overreact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and I mean to be completely fair, it's it's difficult to look at yourself and go how how do I love in this situation or or in any situation. I mean I could make jokes about how like how can you love six feet away uh, <laughs> with this going on, but in these situations like you 
talking about with um, like running in either direction completely to one of two extremes when it comes to being confronted with fear like love just it isn't the first thing that enters your mind yeah. when when fear comes to the equation and we're mm -hmm. talking about how like all these laws it, it boils down to love at the end of the day Jesus wants us to love like that that is the absolute center of Christianity is love because God is love and if we're going to be Christ-like then we need to try to be love as well so how do you respond to a fearful situation with love well for one you you can't respond with love you got to think about it mm -hmm. like that that takes some meditation you can't just have a knee-jerk reaction mm -hmm. of love like that that's just not something that i wish i could yeah you know? if yeah. if there was no sin holding us back we'd be able to pull that off but unfortunately like we, you have to take some time to yourself you get you have to you got to meditate on god's word you got to pray you get you got to figure out uh, you have to discern like how do i respond with love in this situation i still don't know how to respond with love in the situation we're in globally right now like yeah. it, it's weird because again like how do you love from six feet away it's, it, it's a weird situation so I think one of our biggest issues individual individually uh, as a church and the whole entire world is just we don't we don't even think to respond with love we don't mm -hmm. think how to respond yeah. to love and therefore no one's really trying mm -hmm. there's not many examples in public life yeah. of people men and women that we know that they respond with love yeah. you know, like I don't want to be like him I'll be like her mm -hmm. we need more examples yeah. yeah and then touching on uh, what you briefly mentioned Tanner uh, of course when it comes to any like global uh, pandemic like politics comes into the equation mm -hmm. good luck telling a political party that you need to love yeah <laughs> it's yeah. not gonna happen yeah. th this is a situation that genuinely like we need we need Christ like absolutely governments aren't gonna help yeah. Pe people aren't gonna help we, we need Christ to be in the center of this so that we can figure out how how does love prevail in this well, I, I posted on the to those the, the the Facebook lookers, but I posted a picture or a, a quote by Jeff Durbin. He said that trying to uh, trying to place a, a, a social rearrangement. Uh, my goodness. I don't think you can pull up Facebook. Here. I can't pull up Facebook here. <laughs> but he's he's saying like trying to rearrange society without Christ is like trying to rearrange furniture in a burning yeah, building. Yeah. You know, so you gotta have Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I think it may be Ray Comfort that made this comment at one time. It's like you know the reason why we tell them these hard truths, we tell them because we love them. Absolutely. You know, we tell them, and it sounds harsh. Mm -hmm. It does. And, and a lot of these things that, like you stated before, like these laws, they sound harsh. Yeah. They do. You know, but yet he does it out of love. And the reason why, and Ray Comfort says it, is like, well, you're in a burning building. Mm -hmm. You see someone in a burning building, you're going to tell them, hey, you're going to burn and die yeah. if you don't get out. It may be a hard truth, but yet you got to tell them, and then I think that that goes back to what we said before. You, you got to preach. You get to preach that um, that redemption behind it mm -hmm. for sure. For sure, absolutely. So we've been going on for almost an hour. All right. So I, I do appreciate it. I, I, I could talk for another hour to be honest. Yeah. Thank uh, you for inviting us. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's yeah. a good so, conversation. So uh, we'll actually have another episode with Adam uh, tomorrow, which will be actually for you guys, listeners, will be next week. Uh, we'll be talking about discipleship and yeah. pastoral leading and talk about a little bit about D6. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, Adam, if you want to kind of talk brief. Briefly. Brief, briefly. <laughs> yeah, what is D6? What is D6? Yeah, so D, uh, D6 is a family ministry movement based on Deuteronomy 6. That's where the, the D6 comes from, where our scripture, that's very 
you know, early on, like we're in today by Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the thing we've just been talking about. But then it says, the, but all of this whole idea about loving each other says, and teach them to your children. Mm-hmm. And so this whole kind of, this whole thing about it's the, it's dad, it's your job. Mom, it's your job. The church has a part in it too but these six is, is a family ministry movement and discipleship mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's very exciting yeah exciting discipleship is is integral it's what Jesus told us to make it tell us to make you know more Christians it tell us to make more Republicans it tell us to, tell us to make more disciples yeah so um I look forward to talking talking with you tomorrow. Awesome. Next week, actually, for the listeners. Next week. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But we'll get into that next episode, and even though we're out in the wilderness, we'll, we'll still end our episodes the same way. So, Tanner, you give it to us. Peace out.